You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. It's a loss that's like disappointing, but it's not. It shouldn't be like gut wrenching. Like end of the season, it's just too early. And no, of course, we've seen this team bounce back. I mean, then they got they fought back into the game today. Like it's not even like they just got blown out. Like. 27-7, they came back into the game, they just shot to win, they didn't win, they made mistakes, like what can you do? That's not very. That's not a very exciting take, but it's just kind of like that game, it's kind of just like, yeah, they didn't win. I mean, they were so depleted. Yeah, yeah. yeah, oh my god, like to a ridiculous amount. I mean, Kamar Aiken and Josh Perkins had 12 targets combined. Don't even, we'll talk about <laughs> yeah, that. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Hello and welcome to Bleeding Green Nation Radio, Episode 9. Uh, I am Benjamin Solak, joined by Brandon Lee Gowen for the immediate reaction following uh, the Eagles' loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers here in Week 2, 27-21. Man, BLG, I am not used to the host chair. I don't even know what I'm supposed to say right now. Thank you for listening. Is that too early? Should I not thank them yet? <laughs> I think you're doing good, Ben. Uh, much better than I would be doing. Uh, much better than the Philadelphia Eagles did today. Not not the best result. A loss, obviously, very disappointing. Man, it's it's been a while since they've lost a game, huh? A game that's mattered, I think. Yeah, it feels weird. Uh, December 3rd, I heard, last year. I guess it was the what game? The Seahawks game, I imagine. That feels like forever ago. So the first loss in the calendar year, then. Right. For as far as games that actually matter go, yes. Yeah, well, we're never going to count that Cowboys game as a loss at any given time. I refuse to give Cowboys fans the satisfaction of counting it as a loss. And it was it was last year anyway. It was actually New Year's Eve. But yeah, uh, a lot of stuff to talk about after that game today. Um, <laughs> where to begin? Where do we begin here, Ben? Here's where we start because you and I had a very similar complaint very early, which was... What is Kamar Aiken doing on the football field <laughs> right now? Like, why and for what and how and which and what? And and that take was then coupled by the emergence of one Joshua <laughs> Perkins and the heavy bell cow toting of one Wendell Smallwood. Oh boy. It's one thing to me to to be depleted. Obviously, you plan on having a Jai as your heavy workload guy. I'm pretty sure there was a report uh, that came out from NFL Network or something that a Jai was expected to have a very heavy workload in the absence of Darren Sproles, and then he goes down. Obviously, that's a uh, you know that's that's an in game adjustment you have to make. But when you're adding Kamar Aiken the week before the game, 
and you're not, I don't know, finding more ways to get Nelson Aguilar more traditional outside looks. Like, you know, Jeffrey and Hollins aren't going to be there. And I know you like Aguilar in the slot, but the, the, the trap of getting too married to players in their roles, like, like, you know, uh, these are my X receivers. These are my Z receivers. These are my Y receivers. That's very Chip Kelly, right? That was a big chip problem. Was that, no, like, this is, you know, Matthews is my slot receiver. Like, this is what he does. You know, Huff is my gadget guy. And then you become very boxed in with your personnel deployment. To not be finding packages for Dallas Goddard and and to be feeding Nelson Aguilar like a true number one wide receiver in the absence of so many other weapons, to not be giving Corey Clement bell cow touches. He's not a bell cow, but he's the best running option you have by far over Wendell. Like uh, the spread the love offense becomes a little bit too much for me when we're loving Josh Perkins and Kamar Aiken. You know what I mean? Yeah, those guys had a combined 12 targets today. That is just... Wendell had more carries than Corey Clement, which is amazing and, And look, I mean, they were obviously forced into this situation because Mike Wallace left the game early with an ankle injury. Uh, He also tweeted a crying face emoji, which doesn't sound good. Um, I know I know you're not big on emojis, Ben, but that's that's not a good one. So that's a bad one. I would assume crying is bad. Not a good one. So the Eagles are down to basically a wide receiver with Wallace gone. They had Nelson Aguilar, who looks very good, and we know that, not surprising. But outside of him, it's just nothing. It's Kamar Aiken. It's Shelton Gibson, who entered this game with a knee injury and he was questionable in the injury report. He only played four offensive mm-hmm. snaps last week. So clearly not a guy the Eagles really feel like they can even trust at this point. And then DeAndre Carter, like <laughs> those are your four wide receivers. And then your two running backs with Jay Ajayi coming back into the game later, but clearly, you know, not a hundred percent. He has back issues. Right, it wasn't, 100%. Yeah, he was in there, but even on that first run he had back, I think it was like the first carry of the second half. He had that 20 yard gain. It, it looked like he could have had more there if he was healthy. He could, he looked limited Mm -hmm. while he was running so just not a good situation you're down to Corey you're down to Wendell it's just it's ugly out there man it's it's rough you know you saw why this team was working out receivers and running backs last week because they're in they're not in a good situation right now you look at the receiver stats through these first two games Aguilar has 16 for 111 one touchdown. That was a great touchdown catch and throw today. We'll get into that later. That was wild. And then Aiken is your second with five for 39. And then Nick Foles is actually third if you want to count him because he's one for 15. And then DeAndre Carter, one for 10. And then Mike Wallace, Shelton Gibson, and Marcus Wheaton, who was cut after week one, all have zero catches for zero yards. It's just, this is like 2016, Ben. It's like they don't have any wide receivers anymore. Right. It's kind of an issue. Uh, well, the nice thing is this. If our major complaint with the offense is how they deployed the bottom barrel of their roster when they were dealing with huge amounts of injury, well, then ideally we're never talking about this ever again, right? Like when 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 we talk about uh, you know, umbrage that we had with how the, the, the scheme was deployed, and how the personnel was deployed. We're always talking in the dark because we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes and what, you know, the teams are working on and how the players are executing what the coaches are putting in front of them. So if our main complaint, you know, with the offense is, okay, they didn't really use their fourth string running back and their fifth string wide receiver the way I would have liked for them to use that, you know, that's, that's, a first world problem to have. If we just pop over to the defense real quick and we can flip back and forth, more long-standing issues to me are that of the defensive deployment. You know, when I I wrote up the All-22 review for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, as I do every single uh, game for the opponent, and I said, man, you know, these guys gashed cover three uh, when they saw it against New Orleans. Schwartz is probably going to run his cover three. I understand that. But he's got to be willing to work in more multiple schemes if he doesn't want Fitzpatrick to just boat race him. 
And after that first half, I said, all right, clearly the Eagles are going to have to come out with something other than cover three because they tried to run it. They tried to match up Darby on Evans and Jalen Mills on Deshaun Jackson. That did not go well. They've got to come out with something else. And they simply didn't. I mean, there's, there's having a scheme that your defense is successful in and that your defense uh, is predicated on. And then there's obstinance and the inflexibility to change. And that's something that I, I, I've thought uh, Schwartz has worked on more recently. And I thought he's improved with that, especially uh, from his time as, as the head coach of the Detroit Lions. But today, to me, there was a regression there in terms of it seemed every successive defensive drive the Eagles came out in that second half, which they only gave up seven points in the second half. I acknowledge that. You had some timely turnovers. Obviously, Tampa played a little bit different of a game script. But every drive, it seemed in that second half, the thought process was, man, if the pressure can just get there half a second faster, then we'll be fine, which eventually you got to try something else, man. You were getting beat by the same two routes for like three <laughs> quarters of the game. You're, you're playing off coverage. Darby and Mills are worried about getting toasted deep because Evans and Jackson are great deep ball receivers. So they're giving up three yards when they're already 10 to 12 yards down the field. And the comeback in the out is there every time. You want to know why pressure's not getting there? It's because Fitzpatrick knows his first read is open. You don't, you're not keeping the ball in the pocket any longer. So to me, that was the more grave concern from a, from a coaching standpoint was on the defensive side. Yeah, we saw last week uh, the Eagles had hit Matt Ryan, I think, 15 times, and they'd sacked him four times. We basically saw those numbers sliced in half today. It was two sacks and only eight hits. They just mm-hmm. they weren't getting to Fitzpatrick as much as they ultimately needed to. You kind of just highlighted some of the reasons why. And I think when you look at these home road splits, I mean, this has been a big talking point on Twitter uh, shout out to Joe Giulio, our, our friend who has these numbers here with the Eagles defense in Philadelphia since the beginning of the 2017 season. They've only allowed 12.3 points. That's really good. 12.3 points per game. One of the better home defenses in the NFL. But outside of Philly, that defense is allowing 27.5 points. That is a, what? It's, it's 15.2 difference there. Like there's a clear, this defense just clearly doesn't play as well on the road. And for whatever reason you want to theorize crowd noise, it's clearly an issue. It's not just, I don't think that's just coincidence. I think that is clearly some, there's something to that at some level. And it, we saw it again today. I mean, it was just so frustrating too, to see the first play. Like, <laughs> I noticed Sean Jackson's really fast and it's easier said than done and containing him. But like, that is the most predictable, predictable, I should say, predictable. I can't even talk right. Play. They could have ran. Is that like, a, that was like like what? that's what Vic and, and Deshaun and Kelly opened up with against the Redskins, yes. man. That's just that it, play. It's just a two receiver Yankee play action. He just yeah. He, he and to his credit, he admitted you know it was his fault. He came up and he bit on it. But like man, and look, I want to give some credit here to the Bucks. I don't think this is a game where you can just say. I mean, it is a game where the Eagles shot themselves in the foot, yes, and I think that has a lot to do with why they lost, but I think you also have to give credit to the Bucks because uh, and you and Kist were saying it in the preview show, like, what group of pass catchers, how many groups of pass catchers would you rather have than Deshaun Jackson, Mike Evans, O.J. Howard, Humphreys, uh, Chris Godwin? Like, this is a legitimate group here. Like, they, they did good things. They deserve credit for that, but ultimately... Uh, I just think there were there are too many little things that undid this team today. Doug talked about it in his postgame press conference, the self-inflicted wounds. I mean, you think about the penalties early on, setting them back to third and right. 41, which is just like insane. Jeez. You have Darby whiffing on Howard. 
Jenkins biting on the Deshaun touchdown. Ertz un- being just unable to pick up a first down on fourth and four. Like, he's just right there. Like, get your arm across, dude. Like, you're, you're there. You have to just make that play, especially on a day like today. Your boy, Jake Elliott, missing a 41-yarder. That Doug being conservative at random times, like in the third 11 and running a draw play. I mean, some of that stuff's a little nitpicky. But still, it's just all that stuff, like, adding. And then, obviously, the biggest thing. Uh, and going back to the defense with Jalen Mills having that penalty on the third and three, which basically let the game end because the Bucks converted there. Right. And it was tough. You know, Mills got flagged. He also got face masked, but whatever. I mean, just another example of the team not making a play when they needed to. And I, and look, I think my takeaway from all of this is that the season is not over in week two. I know that's very controversial to say here, Ben, but this <laughs> team has character. I think that I, that was one of my takeaways from last week's game. Things weren't going right for them early on. But they fought back into it and they won the game and they held on. And I think this week they fought back into the game after getting down 27 to 7. They easily could have folded at that point. They didn't. And that was encouraging to see. It's disappointing overall, of course, but... Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not devastated. No, I hear you. And and to that point, you know, you said some credit goes to the Bucks. I say no credit goes wow. to the Bucks because well, you're not well, a Todd no. Munkin fan. I'm a huge, well, I'm a huge, no, I'm a huge well, Todd Munkin go. fan. My thing is no, like obviously uh, an embellishment. My big thing is they just didn't like. It goes back to the Schwartz thing. They didn't have to do much to hold back the Eagles push. Like the Eagles started executing on offense. Tampa, you know, had that bad uh, turnover with Mike Evans, what have you. But really like, you know, they weren't reinventing the wheel. They came out with a game plan and then didn't have to do much to adjust that game plan over four quarters. Cause the Eagles were kind of really haphazard in terms of what they were trying to execute. Like, you know, I'll put it to you this way. You run six screens against a team like Tampa that can't rush the passer. Like, you're playing into the strength of that defense. You're letting their linebackers play aggressive, and that's the best part of their defense. Meanwhile, you're not really taking advantage of a poor defensive line. You know, you're not pushing the ball down the field against backup corners, and one of their rookie corners goes down, so they bring in a, a street free agent, and you're not attacking one-on-one coverage. You know, like they, I, I found that Philadelphia really approached the game in a way that didn't threaten Tampa in the spots that I would have predicted them to threaten Tampa. And speaking of not pushing the ball down the field, let's get to Nick Foles. Yeah, let's uh, talk about him. Yeah, you and I, obviously, we share a similar opinion on Foles. Uh, and, and even in sharing that opinion, we can acknowledge the good of Nick Foles and when he's positive. I mean, that... Uh, that last touchdown drive, man. Oh, that throw was a, a dime, man. Right. So, no, I mean, we had four straight completions, 18 yards to Kamar Aiken, 30 yards to Josh Perkins, that incredible contested catch for Josh Perkins, 16 yards for Ajayi, eight yards for Perkins, and then Ajayi drives it up the middle, and that incredible throw to Nelson Aguilar, which, like, was the wrong read. Like, he had the flat. <laughs> like, that's what he should have thrown, and he still drops it in the bucket. Like, that's, that's unbelievable, and you take that drive – you take that drive and you extrapolate it over a game, and that's what the Eagles had against the Patriots for Nick Foles, you know. Uh, but what we saw across the course of the game, in my opinion, was a player who simply missed so many opportunities. You know, when we uh, – a common construction for evaluating players is do you win with him? Uh, do you win because of him? Or do you win in spite of him, right? Yeah. These are kind of the three ideas. And for three quarters of that game, Foles was a win in spite of sort of a player. He was just missing a ton of opportunities. He was not giving his receivers chances down the field. He was not letting the offense open up and attack that deep area of the field. Playing a little bit timid, playing scared, not really reacting very well to pressure packages. One of the big selling points for Nick Foles was always, oh, he can read a defense and he's a veteran, so he knows what's coming on. Man, he did not do well 
acknowledging the pre-snap blitzes of Tampa, which again, in, in my evaluation, in my perspective, it's not like they had super great disguised blitzes from different areas. Man, they're selling the same linebacker of the same gap three times. You know, this is not not super complex stuff as far as, you know, what I'm seeing. Obviously, like, you know, it's an outside perspective. So this is Foles, man. It was a roller coaster. Like when he hit that throw against Aguilar, I was more pissed than anything else. So I was like, (laughs) where has this been for three quarters? It's just insane watching him play. Yeah, I think I can't believe I'm finding myself saying this to you, Ben. But I think you're being a little too harsh on Nick Foles. I I agree with you. All right. It is 7-10 Eastern Standard Time on September 16th, (laughs) Sunday, 2018. BLG, sympathetic to Nick Foles' plight. I I don't think he played as well as the numbers looked i can agree with that but i mean still 35 of 48 30 73 completion 334 yards okay 200 of those yards came on three drives in the fourth quarter look i'm just saying like in a 98.8 pass rating like you'll take that from your backup quarterback right like that's that's easily something you're gonna take in any given week the problem is and this is why one of the biggest things about everything going on with the Eagles now, Carson Wentz sounding like he'll be back for week three, which is awesome. This is the game you needed a Carson Wentz quarterback. Like like everything else is going wrong. The defense can't get itself right. Uh, you're losing skill players left and right. This is when you needed a franchise quarterback to come in and be like, you know what? All this stuff is going wrong. We're going to win anyway. We're going to mm. win in spite of this adversity going on. Like that's, that's why to me, it's exciting that the Eagles are going to be getting Carson Wentz back. And it's probably not fair to assume he's just going to automatically be that player out of the gate coming off this injury. There could be a learning curve, adjustment period, whatever you want to call it. But, to me, overall, that's just kind of one of my takeaways from the game today. I don't think Nick Foles is the reason they lost. Can we agree on that? Like, he's not the reason they lost today, right? Is that... All right, give give me a reason they lost. I don't think there is the reason. I think there's a number of reasons. I, but I'm not. I'm saying, like, you can't just be like, well, no. Foles is the only reason they lost. That's what I I'm saying. I acknowledge it's more nuanced than one person, Brandon. I'm just saying, yeah, gun to your head. If you had to pick the primary one, what would it be, man? Well, I think the defense just didn't. Again, right. it goes back to not showing up on the road and, and the things you've talked about where just really not adjusting <laughs> just kind of late into the game still giving up easy completions and and there were times i think overall the pass rush wasn't horrible but it just wasn't as good as it needed to be mm-hmm. and there was a certain drive there i think was it late in the first half there i think it was the godwin touchdown drive where yeah yeah that last drive it just evaporated completely like the pass rush was just not even there like they nothing like fitzpatrick had all the time in the world he just marched down the field super easy and things with that were frustrating so All this to say, you know, getting Wentz back is just a welcomed return for me. I think this team has... It's not like you just get Carson Wentz back and everything's solved. That's not what I'm saying. But I think, in theory, the reason why you acquire a Carson Wentz and you develop a Carson Wentz and spend, in the future, of course, spend all these resources resources why do i keep saying words dude you are adding so many syllables (laughs) and cap space and all of that into a a certain player like why do quarterbacks make this money ideally it's because they have the ability to make up for deficiencies on the team elsewhere and that's what the eagles needed today yes and they didn't get that from nick Foles, and that's fine because that's not the player that nick Foles is going to be he's your backup quarterback Mm -hmm. for a reason he's not your franchise player but 
I think that's why Wentz's return will be so big and why still I don't feel so terrible about this loss because I know the Eagles are getting Carson Wentz back and that's a really big deal. No, I, I absolutely agree. I think the number one thing I would circle as far as the reason the Eagles lost would just be generally offensive depletion. Like, you know, obviously, you know, you don't have Carson kind of coming into the situation, but to or all Sean. Or Darren Sproles. Right. To over the course of the week, right, to confirm that there's no Alshon, to lose Darren Sproles, then to lose Jay Ajayi. We haven't even talked about the fact that Jason Peters was a spotty attendee uh, as far as on the field for the game. And obviously, anytime you got Big V out there, as has been discussed many times on shows on this podcast network, (laughs) the lack of Peters limits what you can do offensively. You know, uh, I was a really big proponent before the game of attacking Tampa Bay by running outside on them uh, because they had a lot of difficulty in that defensive line flowing hard laterally. Philadelphia found a lot of success there in the first half, but once you put Big V in there, you can't really run off tackle to the left because Big V lacks the mobility to be really trustworthy on that side. He got blown up by uh, JPP on one such play early in the game when he was first in uh, for Jason Peters. So, the, the the general offensive depletion, I think, is is what you can attribute, the, at least the plurality of blame uh, for this loss. I would just say to the fact that, man, this was an undermanned football team. And it does go to show how much we expect from Doug Peterson that we thought, you know, maybe he'd be able to pull this off with so few weapons. That brings me to my question, BLG. Yeah. Alshon Jeffrey, we're going to take Carson out of the equation. He's coming back week three. It was written in the stars. Eagles are one and one. That's 11. Carson's <laughs> coming back. Uh, but Alshon Jeffrey... Darren Sproles, Timmy Jernigan. Who's the one player you would bring back to get on this team right now? Who would be the biggest impact player for you to add back from that injured reserve? I just all Sean because they just don't. They're so thin at receiver. Well, I know you're. What are you going to say, Jernigan? Here is that why? Like you asked this. I I resent the fact that you figured that out so quickly. We clearly talk way <laughs> too much about trick. this team. Um, I would love to have Timmy Jernigan back. Don't get me wrong. I just think the trickle down a receiver is just so horrible. Like to have Aiken being in there is just really bad. This is something we have to get into here, Ben. Cause it's, it's been too long. The Dallas Goddard thing. What is like, what is, what is this? We talked about Josh Perkins earlier and to his credit, he did have that. He had a couple nice catches on the Eagles final touchdown drive that they had. It's not like he did nothing, but he also had two drops. And he was, again, he had six targets. And Dallas Goddard, did he even have a single target in this game? Listen, I, I he don't was, see a single target. He, <laughs> like, he blocked on the quarterback sneak and he killed it. Uh, and he was in on at least one red zone snap that I saw. But I saw crazy, two man. confirmed snaps. They, they traded up for this guy in the second round. And look, I've been saying all along that rookie tight ends take time to adjust i get that but still like josh perkins like you're that's like he's just so far ahead of dallas goddard like that's just it's it's hard for me to believe and it it goes back to some of the concern i had drafting tight end at 32 we ain't doing this yes we are and the eagles obviously didn't draft a tight end at 32 they traded down which made things better for me i think taking just one at 32 would have been pretty frustrating and i think especially how we're seeing it play out so far which it's very early still it's just like how, how much did dallas Goddard even play today and you traded up into the second round to get this guy and again that's not to say he's not going to have a good impact on this team ever and especially maybe later this season but for right now like you cannot not be frustrated that Josh Perkins is getting significant playing time and targets and looks over him. It's just it's tough. It's tough right now to to deal with that. Listen, you you're not gonna. I will be the first person in line to complain about Josh Perkins getting snaps because, as you know, 
when Doug Peterson dropped Josh Perkins' name before 53-man cuts, I, like, openly mocked it. I was like, this is why all those pressures are jokes, because Doug's trying to convince us that Josh Perkins is a thing, and this is ridiculous, and it's all just, you know, it's all smoke and mirrors. And then Perkins, like, made the 53, and he's now taking tight end two snaps, which is insane. And obviously, Richard Rodgers. It's another just guy that you expected to be part of the weekly game plan that all of a sudden you have to start working to to work around his absence. But my 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 number one response to the the worry about Goddard and implementing him early is that if you're conceiving of Goddard as a traditional tight end who needs to be able to do uh, you know, to be able to fit multiple blocking schemes and needs to be able to be versatile and run no huddle with him and he lines up in line and he's flexed out then you're limiting your own ability to get impact plays from him in week one. Like this is a older prospect, very physically developed, has been for a long time, is a a relatively physically dominant player from what we saw of him in snaps against ones and against twos in the preseason, right? This was a guy who was physically winning against starting caliber players in the preseason for what that's worth. And you don't really need him to be pass setting. You don't need him to be executing zone blocks. You know, you want him to do exactly what Zach Ertz does for your offense. You want to have two Zach Ertzes. Okay, like that's a great long-term goal. If that's what you want to do with him, if that was the plan for drafting him, okay. It'll definitely take him time to get there. It'll take any college tight end time because college tight ends aren't just asked to do that. That's the reality. But that doesn't mean you can't get 15, 20 impactful receiver snaps when you have no Mike Wallace, no Matt Collins, and no Alshon Jeffrey. You're missing not only three of your most explosive receivers, but also your two biggest bodied receivers. And you've got basically a, a supersized wide receiver who can who can play tight end for you, 240 some pounds, and you're not getting him out on the field. Like to, to me, like if you have that end game construction of a Zach Ertz who can do a lot of stuff for you, can execute wham blocks, et cetera, et cetera. Cool. But this is a break glass in case of emergency. Like you needed receiving reps and guys who could break a couple tackles and make some big plays and you were turning to Kamar Aiken over Dallas Goddard and that doesn't make any sense to me yeah you dra- you traded up into the second round to pl- then play 11 personnel all the time or the big majority of the time with Kamar Aiken and Shelton Gibson being your outside guys or even last week like even go back to last week it wasn't that Josh Perkins was out snapping Dallas Goddard it was that DeAndre Carter was playing 70% of the snaps for some reason while while Goddard only played I don't know like 18 or something like that like it's just it's kind of perplexing to be to be honest with you and and the the answer that Doug gave because Doug was asked about this in his press conference after the game Ben I don't know if you saw it but it was kind of a weird answer. It that's was, what I that's what I heard is that he kind of was just like, game plan, uh. Yeah, I guess what he's trying to say there, now that I'm thinking about it, is uh, I guess Goddard has to be game planned in there. Is that something, is that fair? Like to, to say that he wasn't game planned in enough and if they didn't have him in there, they can't just throw him out there and expect him to be super productive? I don't know. He, right. Here's my question. When you drafted this guy, when you traded back and traded up to go get him, when you said he was one of your targets at 32, did you not have game plans already in mind? Like, I I struggle to believe an offensive mind like Doug Peterson, a guy who loves offense the way he does, hasn't been thinking of ways to get Dallas Goddard the ball for the past four months. Like, since they've got him in April, you know, May, June, July, August, you're telling me he didn't think once about like, oh man, when I've got Ertz and Goddard on the field, I'll be able to do this and that and the other thing. Like... That, that sort of an answer to me reads like, 
man, like, you know, Goddard, we just haven't even been thinking about getting him starting reps yet. Like, that hasn't been in our in our mental construction at all, which to me sounds like bupkis because we saw him get significant starting reps in the preseason. We saw him work in with the first team at camp. Like, I, 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 that surprises me a great deal if the main point that they have is, oh, well, Josh Perkins was on the practice squad for a little bit last year, right? So he knows more Not about even. getting... They signed he was a futures guy in January. Yeah. So there you go, right? So Perkins and Goddard have been in the building for the same amount of time. Perkins obviously has uh, the experience in the NFL with the Falcons that Goddard doesn't. But really, how many more strides ahead of, of Goddard in terms of positional versatility to not be specifically game-planned is Perkins? Like, it, it, to me, that's that's got to be a minimal... Uh, you know, difference, a minimal delta, uh, that surprises me a great deal. Goddard is not a hard player to game plan for. He is a matchup nightmare. Put him on the field. There's the game plan. Let him run a stick route. Let him run an option route. He did it. South Dakota State, he was running option routes all over the place. It's not difficult. So, like, to me, that, that, that reads a little phony. Speaking of dynamic players, Ben, the question needs to be asked because it is, it is out there. Do you want to – do you want the Eagles, rather, to – no acquire Josh Gordon. <laughs> you uh I mean uh do you if you anticipate long-term issues with Alshon then maybe What about Mike take- Wallace? What if Mike Wallace can't play cuz he got hurt and what if he's done? Obviously Gordon and Wallace are both deep threats, but I think what Wallace offers you from a profile perspective is different than what Goddard uh than what Gordon offers you from a profile perspective. Gordon is much more so of an Alshon style of player. Uh, whereas if Wallace goes down, will you turn to Shelton Gibson, you turn to Aguilar, and you say, you guys can give me speed on the boundary? doesn't seem like they trust Shelton Gibson, though. That's part of the thing here. Like That's part of the answer you have to consider. Right. I hear that. I'm very interested to see what Shelton Gibson's snap counts look like because he got the one deep ball target from Foles. And it was he was only targeted twice. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how often he was on the field and they tried to work something to him or they used him to stretch out the defense and he just didn't get a look. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't tracking his snaps that closely. So I want to see that, you know, and and I want to see the all 22 before I make that call. When you have a player like Gordon, number one, I don't think the Eagles are going to be able to make a strong enough claim for him just among other teams where he would see far more volume. Mm -hmm. Um, But obviously this is a guy who has so much coming around with him in terms of uh, history that you have to deal with and, and not like antics is the incorrect word, but just drama, right? Just there's, he's a big news guy. There's no reason to introduce that into a team that simply is very effective without it. You know, that's, that's the long and the short of it to me. Very talented. Let another team work on the reclamation project. I kind of agree with you in the sense that I just think he's unreliable. I mean, obviously he is unreliable. It's not even I think he's unreliable. He has proven to be unreliable. And I think the idea of him is so much better than the actuality. Because in theory, it's like, oh, yeah, it's great. The Eagles need wide receiver help. You just get Josh Gordon at a probably, you know, a pretty low price relative to what it would take to acquire that player of talent regularly. But I mean, he could just easily get hurt or get suspended again. Like you just there's there's no real any kind of assurance there. But I guess when you when you think about that, like what's the risk? Like what is the most you're willing to risk to to give him up? Like are you are you, would you give up a future six for him? Is that enough? I don't know, but I feel like I would be. Because this is a guy who, especially if Wallace is done for the year, let's say, and I don't know that. I'm just saying, like, you know, the, the emoji and everything, he got carted off the field today. Not the best signs there. Uh, it seems like a Howie kind of move in, in the sense of they've been looking at these former first-round receivers. They brought in Corey Coleman for a workout. They brought in Rashad Perriman for a workout. Uh, they didn't sign him, obviously. Coleman signed with the Patriots. Maybe they would have signed 
uh, him if he had visited the Eagles, but he didn't make it to Philadelphia. So I don't know. I don't think I think to think that Gordon is just like the cure all for the receiver group is is naive and not realistic. But I mean, I I, <laughs> I think at the very least, uh, Harry Roseman needs to be making a call to John Dorsey and seeing what that price is. I don't think it'll be the Eagles who end up with him. I think it'll be the Cowboys who end up with him because that seems very much like a Dallas Cowboys move to first give up too much for him and then have him you know come in and watch him have like a good game or so and then right. he'll flame out kind of like who was the linebacker they did that with for a while remember that i don't know uh, I, oh um, i thinking of yeah like the most linebacker is it sort Rolando of name McLean, am i thinking yes of? yeah i think it's something like like that's such a cowboys move it's like oh it's a steal at first and then it just you know it doesn't work out down the road so absolutely yeah so i don't know i don't i don't think they're gonna get him but yeah listen if you use the the howie construction of decisions as bets if it's a good gamble Howie's gonna want to take it but philly's in a position where they don't need to make a gamble dallas like right. probably does that offense has been yeah derelict for a few games now they need a shot in the arm philly is not necessarily there and this is the long and the short of it now kind of talking about the cowboys transition to the nfc philly drops one they go one and one with Foles. i think obviously the best you could have asked for was two and oh but one and one makes a lot of sense assuming carson comes back for week three now the rest of the nfc kind of ate itself up a little bit right redskins yeah. drop one to the colts so now that's big yeah, that's one and one. And then obviously, uh, someone tonight between the Giants and the Cowboys will end up one and one. Someone will be 0 and 2. So Philly is not like, you know, a game behind or anything like that. Rams are 2 and 0. Uh, beat up on Oakland, beat up on the Cardinals. They haven't really had uh, a stiff test yet. Packers and Vikings tie. So instead of one team being a game ahead, they're both half a game ahead, which like, you know, this is, this is all like, you know, this is cool. Uh, Falcons and, uh, Falcons, Beat up on the Panthers, one and one there. Saints are one and one. Buccaneers are two and zero. Really, like you know, Philly's at a point where yeah, they drop an early one, but a lot of perceived NFC contenders have dropped slash tied an early one. And so you know, in in a potentially very thick race, obviously every game is going to end up counting for NFC seeding because it's going to be tight. But could have been way uh, you know you 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 could be at a a more difficult spot. Could have dropped two very easily. Uh, against the Falcons, could have lost that football game. Really, Philly's escaping pretty nicely unscathed from what is a, a injury, suspension, absence-marred beginning of the season. Things kind of look to be on the come-up. Obviously, uh, you get the Colts and the Titans, I believe, in, in back-to-back weeks. Those are two teams who, obviously, the Colts had a nice one against the Redskins, but you should be able uh, to, to, to pull off some wins against those teams. A softer uh, stretch here now against the AFC before you find the Vikings in week five. Philly should feel okay about where they are. Obviously, there's been some offensive concerns outside of Wentz, some defensive concerns overall. Uh, beginning of the season, new personnel, you're working stuff out. Overall, I think, you know, like like you were saying, this doesn't end the season. There's absolutely no reason to panic. Eagles look pretty okay. I That's a really good way to put it, Ben. I think when you put it in Thanks, the context man. of, you know, the division and the conference overall, it's not like, oh, my gosh, the Eagles have massively fallen behind. No, they're, they're probably going to be okay. Carson Wentz is coming back. That's the best news we could have. Uh, I imagine – I don't know if Alshon's going to be back this week, but I think he's at least – I think week four at the very latest, I'm guessing, is when he's – he's going to be back eventually. <laughs> Hopefully. Bless. Soon. Uh, so they're getting some reinforcements here. Uh, hopefully they learn from some of these mistakes that they made today and they adjust. I think we've, we can give the ben- the team the benefit of the doubt with that a little bit. 
the the one other thing I want to talk about is just or something quick I want to share is the mentality of how I feel after this game. It is different. I can't lie to you. The Eagles winning the Super Bowl and then losing a regular season game against the Buccaneers in week two. It's a very different feeling. Every yeah. Eagles loss used to feel like this is the end of the world because this is another thing that puts us further from achieving a thing that we might never do. <laughs> the fact that they have won the Super Bowl makes it hurt a little less. And I don't want to say that and people be like, oh, well, it's a different season, blah, blah, blah. You can't just say that. Like, I get it. I Obviously, it doesn't make me feel – it's not like, oh, well, they lost. They won the Super Bowl. It's okay. I don't really care at all. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it takes the edge off of the losses that used to be 100%. really hard and that's that's cool like i didn't know i didn't know that like i didn't know it was going to feel that way today so i kind of i kind of right. like that a little bit it kind of puts things in perspective just as you were putting things in perspective in the conference here so again not time to push the panic button Wentz is coming back this team clearly has some issues to work through. I'm not going to just say that everything is good and fine. They got to get some guys back healthy. But I still think they're the best team in the NFC East at the very least. So that's oh, a good place to start. Yeah. So it's a good place to start. And overall, I feel okay. I feel okay. It's funny because before uh, the Eagles won the Super Bowl, when they lost, I would yell about what I would have done differently as a coach. And after the Eagles won the Super Bowl, when they lose, I still do the exact same thing. <laughs> and I get all up in a tizzy unnecessarily but hey like i said man and you know what once carson's back doing silly carson things once alistron's back doing crazy alistron things once sproles is back jason peters is fully healthy you know obviously hoping peters comes back fully healthy we're gonna be back to loving the life of being an eagles fan and just watching this offense rip people to stretch watching this defense get into the backfield it's gonna be fun i feel like that does it man i i I don't even have an outro prepared either i want to do oh i know what i'm gonna do did you listen to the Kist and Solak show episode 10, I believe it was, where he brought on Trevor Sikama from Pewter Report? Absolutely. The Kist and Sikama show. Yeah, exactly. So thank you for <laughs> listening to the Solak and Gowton show oh, here nice. on Bleeding Green Nation Radio. What's up, Mike? Get it. Uh, he has to edit this, so he's going to hear it. Um, <laughs> uh, as always, we do appreciate your listenership so, so, so very much here in the Eagles season of 2018. I have been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak, that's S-O-L-A-K. He's been Brandon Lee Gowton on Twitter, at Brandon Gowton, that's G-O-W-T-O-N. Five-star ratings and reviews. Uh, if you're not a regular listener to the Kist and Solak show, we have been updating you on the five-star bug which is that you can only input five-star uh, ratings into the iTunes system. Again, they're working on it. But as of right now, dude, we're at 420. I have no comment regarding the uh, the 420. Nice. But uh, please go ahead and leave ratings and reviews. We do appreciate it. It helps us out as we are, of course, uh, still a young network that is gleaning those ratings, those reviews, and those listeners. Uh, looking at the rest of the week, you'll see the typical uh, mailbag. You'll see the All-22 review and the All-22 prep on BleedingGreenNation.com from me. As far as looking forward to the Colts game, Frank Reich, familiar opponent. And of course, uh, you'll hear more All-22 breakdowns on the podcast network from me and Michael Kist. Brandon, do you have anything else in the slow cooker people should know about? Yeah, I'm probably just going to be writing a bunch of articles on BleedingGreenNation.com. Wow, that's interesting. Is that a new content technique? It's a new uh, thing I'm trying out for the first time ever uh, in the past five years. Also, in addition to all those good things that Ben said, make sure you hit at BGN underscore radio on Twitter with a follow. Let's get that account. We just got over a thousand followers. I think a thousand one hundred actually. So let's eleven. Give some Carson love. Wentz. It was written in it the was stars. Written in the stars, Ben. We all we got. We all we need. Boo. Fly, Eagles, fly. 
Man, you really, you, you leaned into that Fly Eagles Fly. You enjoyed that nonsense. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Hey guys, this is John Stolness from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season. Man, the 2018 season was, well, it was interesting anyway, and the upcoming offseason looks to be even more interesting. So if you want to stay up to date on all things Phillies this offseason, subscribe to The Good Fight podcast feed and get my podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk, looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. And you'll get bonus podcasts every time big news is made with the team. Seriously, if you want to stay up to date on everything revolving around your favorite baseball team as they return to contention, make sure you are subscribed to the Good Fight podcast feed.